Christmas morning, 1984, when I was five years old, I woke up long before the rest of my family. I went into the living room and saw the glory of Christmas morning. <laughs> the lights on the tree reflected off the presents, stretching all the way over to the fireplace. It was beautiful there. The stockings were all stuffed to the brim with fruit. My family gave fruit, which I love, and trinkets. It was a vision of abundance that still informs my understanding of that word. Abundance. When I say I woke up early, I mean really early. <laughs> it was likely before 4 a.m. I was the early bird in a family of early birds. Anticipating an early morning, my parents uh, told my brother and me that we could open one present when we woke up wise of them. I looked carefully at the presence near and under the tree. I picked them up. I shook them. I felt their weight. I even gave them a good sniff just to see if I might be able to discern what was inside. At the end of my discernment, I selected a box that seemed most promising and proceeded to shred the wrapping paper and ravenously open the box to see what joy awaited inside. All I saw in that shrapnel was a light blue duffel bag with the letters S-A-C on it. I was just learning to read but I discerned that the letters must have meant that this was a sack. <laughs> sack. Okay. I did not immediately recognize, as many of you probably already have, that S-A-C are my initials. <laughs> All I knew was that I was not interested in a sack. <laughs> What was I supposed to do with this sack for the next three hours before my family woke up? I couldn't wait that long. In my frenzied mind, I hatched a plan. I would take one more present back to my room, open it, and reintroduce it when it was time to open gifts. Surely my family would understand my predicament and allow me one more gift. I picked up another box, went to my room, was careful not to wake my brother, and slowly and deliberately opened the present. What was it? A shirt. <laughs> Collared shirt. <laughs> ah! Surely my mother would understand that this was unjust. So I went back to the tree, selected another present, and brought it back to my room. <laughs> you can see where this is going, right? <laughs> Soon I had unwrapped almost all of my presents and looked around the room in horror and shame. It, I burst into tears, went to my parents' door, and knocked. <laughs> 
They brought me into their bed where we slept for the next couple of hours, and eventually I had to sit while the rest of the family unwrapped all of their presents, as would make sense. Um, <laughs> and that year, I learned the truth of all seasons. Wow. Waiting is not easy. <laughs> Fortunately, the wait for Christmas is almost over. From children in modern America to adults in ancient Palestine, the good news has always been this. What you have waited for, what you have hoped for, the change you have longed for in your life and in the world is coming soon. For the past three weeks... We've had different metaphors each week for waiting. We've had building a highway. We've had apocalypse or a hard rain's going to fall. We've had doing time in prison. And on the fourth Sunday of Advent, the metaphor for waiting is always the same. Pregnancy. Pregnancy, the most delicate and life-affirming form of waiting. As the husband of a midwife who is at present delivering babies in downtown Los Angeles for underprivileged folks, for a woman that has delivered over 600 babies and been present for countless more pregnancies, I am prone to enjoying this particular metaphor In both of today's passages, pregnancy is a metaphor for political change. In Isaiah's time, people were desperate for change. How great is that rain sound? Feel free to enjoy that. This passage from Isaiah can be like a little confusing. There's a lot that's not in here, but let me see if I can simplify it. When the southern kingdom of Judah was led by King Ahaz, two other kings attacked Judah. Isaiah and God both say to the king, do not worry. But King Ahaz worries. So Isaiah delivers this prophecy. A young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Im, with, anu, us, el, God, Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. In other words, the baby is like a stopwatch or a timer. Before the baby is old enough to eat honey, usually about one year old, right? Kids, no honey before then. Uh, Yeah, supposed to be deadly. Um, By the time the child can eat honey and make moral decisions, your freedom will come. You will be free from your political, political concerns when this baby is old enough to eat honey and make decisions. And so it was in the time of Isaiah. Flash 
forward 700 years or so. Matthew is telling the story of Jesus' birth. As we know, Matthew's gospel is from a decidedly Jewish perspective. More particularly, it is from a male Jewish perspective, right? He starts the story with all of the male descendants of David, ending with Joseph. So, this day, right, we know Luke tells Mary's story during this time. Luke tells Mary's story, tells the perspective of Mary. We get all that beauty of the Magnificat, right? In Matthew, it's all about Joseph. Mary is kind of a bystander. Even this bit about Mary in this passage is situated within the context of prophecy, fulfillment of scripture, rather than telling us Mary's experience. Matthew's telling is concerned with Israel as a whole. Israel in Matthew's time was a land under occupation, a land and a people dominated by the Roman Empire. Into that hopeless situation comes a familiar story. A young woman is pregnant in a land longing for political change. If you know that first story, that bit from Isaiah, which everybody did, you expect liberation. You expect that this baby will be a little countdown to when your liberation is coming, right? Does that mean that the Roman occupation of Israel would end? Certainly, it seemed like it. They must have expected that. And that's how things came in Isaiah's time. Ultimately, Matthew reframes that expectation. Yes, change would come, liberation would come, but it would be different from what the people had hoped. It will be an inversion of power, power made perfect in weakness, as Paul says, and we say again and again, the baby will be called God with us. And God with us is a lesson in the fullness of humanity. Starting with the fragility and hope of birth. No human ever totally controls birth. No human controls new life. Despite the fact that 20% of births in the United States are from scheduled preterm cesarean sections, yet another way in which men and some women try to curtail the weighting of pregnancy. Despite that fact, no one controls birth. Like it or not, a baby comes when it comes. Last week, Casey, in his beautiful sermon on waiting and the history of incarceration, referenced the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail in which King uses the timeless phrase, justice too long delayed is justice denied. In this way, justice and pregnancy share common truths. Like the pursuit of justice, pregnancy requires prolonged attention and expert decisions by practiced and learned caretakers. Justice, like birth, cannot be delayed. 
That is the good news of this story. You don't have to wait. Justice is coming. Your liberation starts now. That's the story of Isaiah and Matthew. The change you are looking for, the liberation you long for, like a child longing for Christmas morning, like a mother ready to meet her baby, like a people longing for the end of an evil political regime. The change for which you can no longer wait is coming soon coming imminently with the Holy Spirit as midwife God is ready to bring the fullness of life into the world through us through the body of Christ Christ is ready to be born the wait is coming to an end Amen